Welcome to Sisterhood. Thank you for being here. It's so great to be with all of you. And I can't believe we're already on lesson number nine in our study about the unseen journey. And today we're talking about dealing with time. Now these unseen journeys that we're on, they take time obviously, but the amount of time that you spend in the middle won't be as long when we get to the end, right? When we get to our desired end and we see the outcome, we're not gonna begrudge the time it took for us to learn those lessons and gain that character. But even though we know there's a great end in sight, it still can get long on this journey and it can feel like it will never end. Time seems to move so slowly when we're in the middle, right? And when you think about it, of all the things that we have to deal with and learn about on our journey, dealing with time is the last thing because we, we learn and grow and we have lessons learned and then the last thing we have to learn is time because that's what it takes to get to the end. And since that's the case, we have to learn to deal with time. Now I'm sure you've heard um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when we wait, we're at risk for becoming heart sick. Now we talked about disappointment in an earlier lesson, but a trial isn't even necessary for heart sickness to happen. It could just be that nothing happens for a long time and that waiting gets to you. Proverbs 13:12 says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Hope is an expectation of good. When you expect something to come to pass and it doesn't, that delay has the potential to make your heart sick. Now in Hebrew, the word sick is hala. And I'm not talking like hala, not like that, okay? But it means to be rubbed or worn, to be weak, uh, afflicted, or grieved. And if our hopes aren't founded on the word of God, we actually set ourselves up for being heart sick. Because if hope lies in anything else than the Lord, then it's not gonna be true. It can fail us, but if that hope is from the Lord, it can't fail. The promise will come to pass, but it doesn't mean that hope won't be deferred. Just because the end is sure, it doesn't mean that it comes when we want it to. The waiting can rub at our hearts and cause us to be grieved and sick. That's hope deferred. And deferred just means to draw out, to prolong, to extend. Now you committed your journey to the Lord and now imagine that that journey is just stretched out. It's extended and it's prolonged. That's not what you planned when you committed it to God. You thought you would get there quicker and now here you are waiting. And in this waiting, you can find yourself being disconnected from the promises of God. No wonder we're heart sick. The passing of time begins to rub at our hearts and we begin to doubt the promises. We become offended because the word didn't work the way we thought it would and at the time we thought it should. Matthew Henry says, the delay of what is anxiously hoped for is very painful to the mind. Now it's funny to think that the passing of time can be painful to the mind, but waiting can be that impactful. It can make your mind feel pain or your heart feel sick. And we usually can't avoid the waiting, so how do we avoid this heart sickness? Well, hope does not disappoint. We can avoid heart sickness by remembering the second half of that verse in Proverbs 13, 12, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Remember, if your hope is in the Lord, the end is sure. 
It's, ex it's ex an expected end based upon the promise of God. That means the desire will come and when that expected end does arrive, your heart will have new life. David said in Psalm 62, five and six, my soul, wait patiently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, I shall not be moved. David is addressing his soul here. The soul is made up of our mind, will, and emotions. It's our decision maker. And your soul determines if you'll stay on this journey or if you're gonna quit prematurely. David wasn't gonna leave that decision up to chance, so he gave his soul some instructions. He's like, soul, listen up. Wait for God. My hope, my expectation is from him. I refuse to be moved. I refuse to give up. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from God. He provides everything you hope for and expect in life, every good thing. So then doesn't it make sense that we wait on his timing? If everything good comes from him, what good would it do for us to quit waiting and go off and try to find another way of obtaining it? Psalm 130, verses five and six says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Here, hope and waiting are found together again. And if your soul must wait, you must not give up hope. The Bible says hope is an anchor for the soul. If you were at Sparkle a couple years ago, that was our theme. Hope is an anchor for the soul. It, it's our expectation that God's promise will come to pass. That's our anchor. And it keeps your soul, your mind, will, and emotions from getting off track. It anchors them. And the only way to endure a wait is to keep expecting the word to come to pass. Never give up hope in the Lord. The psalmist said that he waited more than those who watch for the morning. Now, how many of you have had a long night? <laughs> I mean, I've had so many in my life where maybe I'm going through you know, a deep trial and I can't sleep and I'm either up crying or praying. Um, maybe it's a time where you're very fearful and um, maybe you're going through a time of anxiety and you can't wait for morning to come. I've been in those places. But when you're there in the middle of the night, in the darkness of the night, you don't ever doubt that the sun will come up, do you? No, we don't doubt it. We know the sun's gonna come up. We know it might feel like an eternally long night, but we know that the sun will rise. And so is hope placed in the promises of God. We know they will come to pass. This is important because we live in the tension between endurance and expectancy. On the one hand, we realize that there's journeys to go through and lessons to learn and work that God needs to do on us, but it would be easier for us to just fall into a mindset of a waiter. And I'm not talking about a waiter or a server, but a waiter, someone that waits and expects it to happen, but we just push it off and we say, oh, it'll happen sometime in the future. But we don't expect anything for today. We must always live with both the expectation of the destination before us and the patient endurance that says, I will stand on this promise for as long as it takes. Patience and expectancy together, that can be tough to maintain if all we do is just wait around. I think it would help us to live in that tension if we would think of endurance in terms of abiding. 
right? When we're waiting for the Lord, it's not just a passive waiting. It's waiting um, on the Lord. It's resting in him. It's inquiring of him. It's seeking him. This is all descriptive of what it means to abide in him. And when we abide in the Lord, our expectancy doesn't falter, but it increases. It gives us strength. Think of endurance as abiding in faith. We've been talking about that so much, abiding. That's what's gonna give us our endurance. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but for those who wait on the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord find strength. They don't grow weary, they don't grow faint. Waiting on the Lord leads to strength and energy. This comes from abiding in his presence, not just waiting passively for something to happen. Do you see the difference there? It's a huge difference. We don't just maybe throw up a quick prayer and then sit and wait and wait and wait for it to happen. No, we're abiding and seeking and knocking and asking and we're not giving up. One amazing thing that I have learned, and I still can't wrap, grasp my mind around it, but God is not bound by time. Titus 1, 1 says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. How can you promise something before time if you're not outside of time? But we also see here that God, though he's outside of time, he does use time because Paul said in due time he manifested his word. The Bible also talks about seasons, Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now the Greek word for season is kairos, and it means opportune time, set time, appointed or proper time for action. Now it is clear that God is very much involved in time. He said that there's a due season, there's an appointed time when you absolutely will reap if you don't grow weary and give up. It makes sense that God would use time because he created time, didn't he? But God is not bound by time like we are. So if I picture the time of my life as a path, and I walk through my life in a straight line. From where I see, I see right now, but I can see my past from my memory, I can see my future with my imagination, but I can only act right now in the present moment. This is not so of God. He is literally outside of time. He isn't confined to this moment of my life, and so he sees my life very differently. He looks at my life and he can see it all. And not only can he see it all, he can act and move around in it. It's really mind-blowing. <laughs> he can walk into my future and arrange a blessing there that I will eventually walk into. Maybe he hears me praying a prayer right now in this moment where I'm standing, and he immediately answers me by coming down into my journey and placing it somewhere along the way. Even though I want it right now, he puts it where it's best for me because he can see the whole picture. He prearranged all of it and he holds the future. Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified says, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand, for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, 
living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God has already been where I'm going. That's a comforting thought. He's already been there. He made the plans and prepared the way. He moves in my future. And you know what? He can also restore lost time. This means that he can go back into my past and he can see that hurt or that lost relationship or those years that were lost to sickness or lack and he can carry those years into your future. God said to Israel in Joel 2.25, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my, my people will never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. God said, I will restore to you. Restore means to return to a person a specific thing which he has lost or which has been taken from him and unjustly detained. God is both willing and able to return what was lost, even if what was lost is years. If the devil has stolen effective, productive years from you, God will return them. That means you have great things waiting for you in your future. Understanding that God is outside of time helps me to see the delay from his perspective. I don't have to lament that I lost time or I lost this and I didn't do that because he can redeem those moments that I call lost. He doesn't consider them lost because he knows where they are. And he can easily go back and pick them up and return the lost effectiveness to me somewhere in my future. That's pretty amazing. So we don't need to be so wrapped up and concerned and worried about timing. If we place time in God's hands, then we have placed it in the hands of the one who doesn't have to conform to it like we do. So dealing with delay. We know the destination of the end of the journey is amazing. So we know that we can't give up. We need to press through the impatience and the discouragement caused by the passing of time. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, we give a lot of credit to the trials that we face um, to gain our maturity, and we need to recognize that it isn't the trial itself that perfects us. I mean, lots of people go through trials and they don't come out better, right? I'm sure you've, I've seen it many times. People go through a trial and they become bitter and angry. Maybe they get depressed and they feel jaded. Trials themselves are not the perfectors, but they're opportunities. Oswald Chambers said, we all know people who have been made much meaner and more irritable and more intolerable to live with by suffering. It's not right to say that all suffering perfects. It only perfects one type of person, the one who accepts the call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, when we face trials, the faith that you put in the promise is being challenged. And James says here it's being tested. And you have a choice. Which is true, the promise or the trial? Maybe you recognize this as a test of your faith and you're determined to pass that test and you dig in and you're seeking the Lord and you're like, I am gonna make it through that test and you're determined. But as time passes, your faith begins to falter. 
It doesn't seem like anything is changing. Maybe it's even getting worse. You're frustrated and exasperated. Can anyone relate? But at that moment in time, in the middle of your frustration, patience steps in if you allow it to. James says to let patience have its work because tantrums are also an option, right ladies? Patience comes alongside faith and the two of them together support you and walk you through this time of waiting all the way to the end. And you come away from that journey perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So how does patience accomplish this? Through abiding, again, it all comes back to abiding. Patience keeps you sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his voice and leaning on his strength and following his instructions. The time spent seeking God causes you to be made perfect. And it's the seeking God that makes you perfect. And patience reminds you to seek God. This is what James is describing. And that's why we can be joyful. Count it all joy when we fall into trials is simply the result of recognizing that there's a process there and it's gonna work. It's gonna work in me. It's saying, yes, I know what this is for. It's celebrating the outcome of the journey even as you're just beginning it. It isn't an act of gritting our teeth and saying, I hate this, I'm so full of joy right now, but I hate this, I'm so glad for this trial. That's not what it's talking about. It says count it all joy knowing. It doesn't say count count your trials as joyful. It says count it all joy knowing we have an expected end. And the presence of various trials and the testing of faith and the need for patience, all of that is proof that the end is coming. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12 says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There is a point to this waiting. Now, have you ever prayed a big, scary prayer? I'm sure you have. I know for me, I prayed a big, scary prayer um, for our son, Connor, when he was, um, he was born with autism. We didn't know that until he was almost two years old. But when he was diagnosed, I started praying a big, scary prayer that God would heal him. And I prayed, and I prayed, and in the natural, nothing happened. And if you're like me, you can pray and believe and stand on his word and you can feel nothing and you can see nothing. You ask for miracles and you didn't get it. It's like, God, did you not hear me? Am I not asking right? Do I not have enough faith? Do I need to ask again? We always have these questions when we're asking big scary prayers. But here's what happened. God answered me immediately. When I prayed, God, can you heal Connor? He immediately said yes. How do I know? Because the Bible says in 1 John 5, 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Asking for healing is asking according to his will, right? Yes, and so that means the answer to our prayer is yes. So why didn't I see anything happen? 
Because even though God answered me immediately, his answer put me on a path to that destination. And he was thrilled that I asked, and he immediately began working and to prepare me for what I asked. Now in my situation, two and a half years later, God answered my prayer and he healed Connor. He brought that miracle that's in heaven into my present. And I'm so thankful for that. And every day I thank God for his healing of Connor. And here's the thing, God always answers us immediately, but he doesn't always answer in our timing. God's healing for everyone is in heaven, everyone. And so when we pray and ask for healing and it doesn't happen in our here and now, it will happen in heaven. And so it's not that he hasn't answered our prayer, but he answered it in his timing because he can see the whole picture like we can't. So I know that healing is a very hard topic to talk about sometimes because many people don't get healed here in this life, but they're healed in heaven when they get there. And so I would just um, challenge you, continue to pray those big scary prayers because God answers immediately, even if we don't see it right away, and even if we don't feel it right away. He's giving us an education wherever we're at, and it's to give us a greater revelation of Jesus. It's to build our character by helping us grow in the knowledge of him so that you can be more like him. So think about that. As you journey, Jesus is revealing himself to you. And you can keep your heart from getting sick if you'll understand that that hope really isn't deferred. Something is happening. Maybe you can't see it yet, but it will come. The end is promised. It's a sure thing. It's amazing. John Orperk said, biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. We need to guard against running ahead of God. Now there will be temptations to make this plan happen yourself. If you know what the destination is, you'll probably look for a shortcut, right? We all like to do that. If we know where we're going, we're like, oh, Google Maps, where's the shortcut? We wanna get where we're going but that's not always God's plan. Now Abraham did this. He knew that God had promised him that he would have descendants as numerous as the stars, right? But he had a little problem because Sarah was 90 years old and he thought she ain't getting pregnant. So what did he do? He took it into his own hands. Him and Sarah conspired a little plan. They're like, okay, God said we're gonna have the descendants as many as stars, so we gotta get this thing rolling. So, okay, how about if Sarah's like, how about if you sleep with my handmaiden and then she can have, she'll have the baby for us and then that'll, that'll do it. Well, as women, we can imagine what kind of turmoil and jealousy and anger can come about with something like that, right? And that's what happened. They made a mess of things. But their promise did come to pass because God had it in his perfect plan. Moses did the same thing. He was raised in Pharaoh's house and he lived in luxury but his people were in bondage. Moses took it upon himself to save the Hebrew people. He knew, he knew in his heart that he was gonna save the Hebrew people. But one day he was out and he saw a Hebrew being beaten up by an Egyptian, and so he took matters into his own hands and he went and he killed the Egyptian. Well, 
that was a problem. And he knew that it was God's plan, but he took it into his own hands. He knew the what, but he didn't know the why or the how and the when. And the Bible said he supposed, and that supposing instead of knowing is what, is what caused Moses to have to leave and be in the desert for 40 years tending to sheep. So don't take things into your own hands, okay? There will be many temptations to take shortcuts and to self-promote and to set a plan in motion, to do anything we can think of to get to that destination as quickly as possible. But there is no reason to get ahead of God's timing. T.D. Jakes said, timing is so important. If you're gonna be successful in dance, you must be able to respond to rhythm and timing. It's the same in the spirit. People who don't understand God's timing can become spiritually spastic. I love that. Can you, can you just see that, spiritually spastic? Trying to make the right things happen at the wrong time. They don't get his rhythm, and everyone can tell that they're out of step. They birth things prematurely, threatening the very lives of their God-given dreams. So when you're tempted to be impatient, ask yourself these three questions. Is God faithful? Did he promise? And do I believe him? If your answer to these three questions is yes, then put your chin up and keep going. You have no reason to be disheartened because God is faithful and he promised. Let me leave you with one last verse from Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Amen, let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for this lesson, God, of learning to deal with time. Lord, it's such a hard thing for us in this natural world that we live in, that we're in time and you're not um, bound by it, Lord, but we are, and so it's hard for us to see when you're working. But God, I hope that you would just renew that hope in us today. Help us to rely on you and on your word. Help us to abide in you. Give us that patience to seek after you when we're in the middle of the journey, when we're waiting for answers, God. Help us to know that you're always working, even if we can't see it, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.